Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the executive director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry Nouwen to audiences around the world. We invite you to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Because we're new to the world of podcasts, taking time to give us a review or a thumbs up will mean a great deal to us and will help us extend our reach to more people. Now let me take a moment to introduce today's guest. Today on this podcast, I have the pleasure of speaking with Art Laffin. Art has long been active in the faith-based, nonviolent movement for peace and social justice. He's the co-author of the book, The Risk of the Cross, Living Gospel Nonviolence in the Nuclear Age. And he's co-editor of Swords into Plowshares. Art Laffin is a full-time Catholic worker among the poor in Washington, D.C. Our mutual friend, Father John Deere, encouraged me to reach out and ask Art to do a podcast with us. Art Laffin, is it true that you've been arrested almost 200 times and have spent a lot of time in jail, all because of your faith-based, nonviolent stand for peace and social justice? Well, I I, uh, I have been arrested uh, many, many times. I've kind of lost count. When people ask me uh, how many times I, I have been arrested, I, I usually say not enough. <laughs> and uh, the real, the real uh, uh, purpose of uh, acts of uh, conscience, acts of divine obedience, civil resistance, it's really, for me, a, a prayer of intercession. And so uh, when uh, we see... Uh, state-sanctioned violence um, being carried out as a follower of Jesus, I, I have to resist that. And we always have to put God's law above human law. You uh, co-authored The Risk of the Cross, and it's just been updated and republished in 2021. This book is such a vital resource for people and groups seeking to learn about the danger presented by nuclear weapons. The book was first published 40 years ago, and Henry Nouwen wrote the foreword, how did that come about, Art? How did you, how did you get to know Henry Nowen? Well, uh, through God's amazing grace, I, I I first heard of Henry in 1977 when I was uh, reading his book with open hands. I believe it was his first book, and then I met Henry uh, at uh, Yale Divinity School in 1978 through my uh, good friend Dean Hammer, who was a student of Henry at the time. And Dean and I and several others helped to uh, form the uh, and found the Covenant Peace Community. I then uh, I audited a course that Henry taught on Thomas Merton, and he later published a book about Thomas Merton called Pray to Live. And then I uh, I attended uh, Eucharist with Henry uh, many times at Yale Divinity School, and uh, Henry also celebrated Eucharist with us at the uh, Covenant Peace Community. Uh, for one morning a week for about a year. I have to say, you know, celebrating Eucharist with Henry helped me enormously to have a deeper appreciation of the Eucharist. And Henry always spoke of the need to have a solid spiritual foundation in order to be sustained in a life of peacemaking and activism. And he would use the term, we need to create a spiritual basement for our lives. And this advice has been crucial for me in my own peace in justice ministry and as a Catholic worker. And so that's uh, how I, I, I began to get uh, to know Henry and uh, our friendship began to grow. In 1981, I was very uh, 
moved, uh, Henry asked myself and Dean Hammer and, and several others to help edit his book, A Cry for Mercy, Prayers from the Genesee Abbey, that was published at that time. Uh, that, that was a great uh, honor for me. I mean, Henry was coming to, uh, to us, you know, uh, young activists and, and, and people seeking peace and nonviolence and wanting to uh, get our feedback and editing help uh, in this uh, book of prayers that he wrote, which uh, in reading them really helped to deepen my own faith in Jesus and showed me how prayer is really a spiritual lifeline to God. And then uh, through our... Uh, collaboration and through our, our, our relationship. Uh, Henry was aware of, uh, of course, the, the nonviolent resistance work we were doing. Uh, so we were in New Haven, an hour away from General Dynamics Electric Boat Shipyard, where the Trident nuclear submarine is built, what the Pentagon called the ultimate first strike weapon of our time. And so we were involved with many others in a nonviolent resistance campaign to stop the production of the Trident nuclear submarine and to call for the conversion, the economic conversion of electric boat shipyard to non-military production. And so Henry was, was uh, very uh, supportive of our work and our, our ministry. And we, uh, in our community, in the process of uh, writing a, uh, a new version of a gospel study guide using Mark's gospel to uh, look at the nuclear threat and to call people to nonviolent action for disarmament. And so there was a study guide that was prepared that was used in the Archdiocese of Hartford at that time. And then it was not accepted ultimately by the Archbishop of Hartford. Uh, we got in trouble for, for using this study guide uh, because he, the Archbishop felt it was, it was not uh, balanced enough, he said with a just war tradition. Anyway, we ended up writing a, a, an ecumenical version of the study guide that was uh, published uh, by Seabury Press. And we, uh, we titled it The Risk of the Cross, Christian Discipleship in the Nuclear Age. And we asked Henry to write the foreword to the book. And Henry graciously accepted and wrote this beautiful, powerful foreword, uh, which... Um, we decided to use in the, uh, the new edition 40 years later. Uh, Henry's words stand the uh, test of time, his witness stand the test of time, his counsel, his guidance, uh, his, his call to follow Jesus um, really uh, has helped me and so many people uh, to really uh, go deeper in our faith and our understanding of what it means to be uh, followers of Jesus in the nuclear age. I found it very, very touching, actually, to read that forward that he wrote, because I think it was so forward thinking. But obviously, he had struggled to come to that place of really entering in. Wasn't it amazing that they called that Trident submarine Corpus Christi? the body of Christ. That must have been so offensive to all of you people of faith. I mean, it's offensive to me today. It almost, in a sense, called you forward to do something, I'm sure. Well, uh, actually, the uh, name Corpus Christi uh, was used for a uh, what they called a nuclear fast attack hunter-killer submarine. It was not a Trident submarine, but uh, regardless of, of that fact, uh, it was a blasphemy and uh, many uh, people of, of faith who ordinarily were, was not concerned about the nuclear issue became concerned because 
the uh, body of Christ is actually being branded on a, uh, a nuclear submarine, a submarine of, uh, of killing and, and, and of mass destruction. And so Henry, of course, was very aware of this and uh, very supportive of those of us who were engaging in uh, nonviolent resistance to stop the uh, not only the Trident program, but to work for total nuclear abolition and disarmament. And uh, it, it took Henry, you know, time to really process what his own involvement would be. But um, we extended an invitation to Henry to uh, join us, join us, meaning, uh, you know, the, the faith community. And then there was also a very active group at Yale Divinity School at the time, the Yale Disarmament Group. And uh, Henry uh, accepted an invitation to lead the uh, Stations of the Cross that we would hold every year uh, during uh, on Good Friday at, at, at the uh, shipyard where these nuclear submarines are being built. And so Henry joined us in, uh, in 1985. And if uh, anybody listening uh, has uh, access to the book, Befriending Life, Encounters with Henry Nowen that was edited by uh, Beth Porter, there's actually a picture in the chapter that I wrote in the book of Henry leading the uh, way of the cross. I love this chapter. In fact, there's a quote in here from uh, that you quote from The Road to Peace. Henry wrote, Even today, having become deeply convinced of the immorality of fabrication, possession, and use of nuclear weapons, I still feel quite nervous about speaking or acting for peace. But all these memories and emotions do not diminish the truth that the call to peace is a call for all people, regardless of their many differences. Why do you think he was afraid? What What do you think? He had a lot to work through. What was he working through with this? You know, I want to just re- uh, remind uh, uh, the listeners uh, that uh, John Deere's uh, excellent book that he, he edited on uh, Henry's peacemaking journey, The Road to Peace, is a uh, is a must read and it really goes into greater detail you know about Henry's uh, journey uh, to um, be a uh, a very public voice uh, for 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 victims of violence and war and also to call people to uh, to embrace the uh, the nonviolence of Jesus Henry uh, had been as as I understand it a uh, involved in, in, in the military chaplaincy uh, in the uh, Dutch uh, military at one point. And I'm sure coming out of his you know, World War II uh, experience, you know, he, he, like so many others, you know, had, had a lot of questions about, you know, uh, how do we relate our faith in Jesus to, uh, to war and uh, the use of force and violence, you know? And, and so, there was always a, uh, a very, uh, I, I think there was a tension for Henry, but at the same time, he was really open to uh, where the Holy Spirit is moving people at that time. And um, he, he really uh, came to uh, a place of, uh, of really wanting to uh, add his very unique voice and, 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 and spiritual perspective to the, the movements for peace and justice. And, and we see this in, in a lot of his uh, different writings, you know, after, of course, you know, when he, he went to Guatemala and then he spent time in Peru. And, um, 
so he saw, he, he experienced firsthand the, the plight of the suffering poor. And, and he knew, he knew what war does to people. And he knew that the way uh, out of this culture of violence and death that we are, are, are living through is uh, the gospel of love and life and nonviolence. And so uh, Henry was, was very uh, supportive of me when I did the uh, first plowshares action in 1982. He supported Dean Hammer uh, and the plowshares Berrigans when, uh, he, uh, when, when, when that action happened in 1980, uh, the plowshares action. He still had a lot of questions, you know, but he, he knew us and he knew, you know, the spirit in which we were acting. And, and he, um, you know, he sent letters of support and, uh, in fact, if it's okay, could I just read an excerpt of a letter that he wrote me when, when I was in jail? Oh, I'd love to hear it. Yes, please do. Yes, yes. Well, well, this is this is uh, July eighth, July twenty eighth, nineteen eighty two, and he was uh, Henry was at Pendle Hill, the Quaker Center, at a conference in uh, Wallingford, Pennsylvania, and he wrote me uh, this letter that I received in Montville Jail. I was I was uh, uh, I. Had, just been involved in the uh, Trident Nine Plowshares action on, on Independence Day, July 4th into July 5th. And so he's writing me just a few weeks uh, later. And he says, uh, many thanks for your wonderful letter. I really appreciate very much you taking time for, uh, to write to me. You have been very much in my thoughts and prayers and I am extremely grateful for your witness. It is a great honor to be connected with you and your friends, and in this way, to be part of the body of resistance. Now, see that? that isn't that beautiful? I mean, just yeah. from, where, from where Henry is coming from, you know, and, and, and all the circles that he's moving in, really. I, I just was so grateful for this letter when I received it uh, almost 40 years ago, right? And then he goes on to say, uh, you know, he, he invited me to come to his 25th uh, uh, celebration uh, as, uh, to the priesthood that was being held at the Genesee Abbey. And he, he says, I understand you won't be able to come to the celebration, but your ministry is clearly more important. All of us who will gather at the Abbey will certainly feel closely united with you and your friends. Thanks for giving me such a clear idea about your life in prison. I can see how this can be a very important time for you and a time in which you can grow close to God, deepen your commitments and broaden your ministry. I am sending your greetings to all the people at the conference. That's the conference he was attending at Pendle Hill at the time. And they will be very glad to hear of your gratitude for their support. And then uh, he, he writes, it was a great joy to hear that you have been found not guilty for your November 1981 action. I agree that the conscience of the people spoke clearly here. So I was part of a previous action and uh, I was going to, uh, I had a trial about that and I was found not guilty on one of the charges. So Henry was remarking uh, about that here. And, um, and then he, he talks a little bit more about his, his some of his future plans, but <clears throat> This, I think, gives you a little sense of, you know, uh, you know Henry, uh, you know, offering uh, really his, his heartfelt 
uh, loving support for uh, those of us who felt really called to uh, engage in this kind of nonviolent resistance. You know, I, I found it very touching as I read the friending life and the and the uh, little article that you included in your remembrance of Henry. It was very, it really spoke to me. I found it really inspiring, the truth of the fact that he was closer to those who took that stand and um, in a sense wanted to to celebrate that with you and to and to bless you for it. And I think that was really evident. One of the things I saw in your reminiscence of Henry in that book and then really feel the strength of in The Risk of the Cross, one of the things that really permeates it is the importance of the Eucharist. And you alluded to that a little earlier. Can you help me understand how that has become a very important element within this process of resisting and being uh, an advocate for nonviolence in this world uh, that has nuclear weapons. Tell me a little bit about why the why is the Eucharist a vital part of this uh, knowing of God and and knowing of of Christ in in your nonviolent activism. What a great question! And uh, you know Hen- Henry's Henry's life was rooted in the Eucharist and. Um, and so, uh, whenever, whenever I was uh, part of a, uh, a Eucharistic liturgy with him, I mean, Henry, and I, I, I don't know what encounter you had in this regard, uh, Karen, but he put his whole body and soul into the liturgy. I mean, uh, in a way that I, I never experienced with any other liturgy I ever attended with a priest. I mean, he really felt, I think, like... like like he was at the Last Supper with Jesus, you know, and that he was he was living through the uh, the passion and suffering of Jesus, but also recognizing that that uh, that God is giving him and all of us through the Eucharist this great gift of, of Jesus who 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 transforms our life and 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 so. He, Henry would always say, say, you know, the Eucharist means Thanksgiving, and it is a great act of Thanksgiving, of giving thanks to God for being able to open our lives, to break open our lives, to uh, to give to others. And so uh, I was deeply uh, affected by, you know, Henry's celebration of the Eucharist. And then as I as I really got to understand what the Eucharist really means, where Jesus is literally giving us the bread and wine that he representing his life poured out in suffering love that this is the the essence of of gospel nonviolence and um i don't know if you're aware of this new initiative that's being uh put forth by the uh, association of u.s catholic priests uh this initiative is called the eucharist of gospel nonviolence to really help our church understand that the Eucharist is really, um, it's, it's not only the act of thanksgiving, but it's also the, the sacrament of gospel nonviolence. And so I, I, uh, I, I really uh, have grown in my understanding and appreciation of, of the, uh, the, the central importance of the Eucharist in, 
the life of the church and in, our, in the spiritual lives of our followers of Jesus and in, the, in how the Eucharist has been able to sustain me uh, in my own, uh, my own journey of faith and discipleship. And uh, it's really been, 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 been my lifeline and, uh, to, to, to God. And so uh, I, I owe a lot to Henry in, in helping me to open my own eyes and my deeping my faith uh, to really embrace this. Um, because I don't know how else I could be sustained without the Eucharist and without uh, really a, uh, a real deep sense of um, connecting with Jesus through the Eucharist and through the uh, power of prayer. It's interesting because in your book, The Risk of the Cross is actually a study guide. It's, you know, five beautiful sessions, a wonderful thing that people could use for small groups or for personal study, but it's based on the Gospel of Mark. It opens that up. And one of the things that you just so clearly lay out is the nonviolent nature of Jesus. I mean, they're just, it's undisputable as you go through, and I found that so powerful. I want to ask you a question, Art. What does it mean for you to take up the cross? Well, what it, what it means is to um, be uh, involved, as Jesus was, to nonviolently resist the powers of death and the forces of, 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 of domination and destruction. And certainly Jesus was living under the uh, brutal occupation of the Roman Empire at the time. And so he was very aware of what it would mean to announce God's reign of love and justice and nonviolence and equality in resistance to the uh, religious powers of his day and resistance to the power of the Roman Empire. which uh, was, was, you know, engaging in this ruthless uh, oppression of the uh, Jewish people. And so today, let's look at the U.S. empire and what it's doing in the world and how, uh, how critical it is for people of faith and conscience to be that voice of, of, of love and compassion and resistance to all those forces that are uh, crushing people, that are oppressing people, that are denying people, the basic necessities of life, and uh, to try to live, to try to live an alternative, and 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 that's really what the Catholic Worker uh, has attempted to do. When Dorothy Day was starting the Catholic Worker, it was simply an attempt to really put into direct action the uh, Sermon on the Mount and the social teachings of the Church. And uh, Dorothy Day and Peter Morin started the Catholic Worker with no grand plan in mind except to follow this uh, gospel mandate of, of uh, living out the great commandment of love to be uh, peacemakers and to establish justice. And so um, the risk of the cross encompasses all of this. And, and what it ultimately uh, means is that you have to lay down your life. And so uh, for me, uh, the, the, the risk of the cross has involved, you know, going into war zones, standing with, uh, people who are crying out for peace, uh, victims of war. Uh, it means, uh, you know, uh, engaging in nonviolent actions where I put myself in a situation where I would be uh, jailed and 
I, when I was growing up, I never uh, dreamed I would, I would be uh, involved in such a thing. But look, when you, when you ask the question, what would Jesus have me do in response to uh, a government that is committed to uh, destroying all life on the planet with its uh, nuclear weapons? I have to take a stand, you know. And so uh, the, the risks that I've taken, I think, are very small, really, compared to the enormity of the evil that we face. And so I have, you know, I've been arrested many times. I've spent time in jail and prison. And I've, I've been to war zones where I've seen uh, unspeakable suffering uh, in, in Iraq, in El Salvador, in Honduras. And, and I, uh, I've also been to Guantanamo. Uh, I've not been able to, I went with a group of Catholic workers to try to visit the prisoners in Guantanamo to call for an end to their torture and for for an end to uh, terrible uh, confinement that the United States has imprisoned Muslim men, you know, calling them terrorists, enemy combatants, you know, on and on. And these are our, our Muslim uh, brothers, uh, you know, who, uh, who, who have been uh, branded by the government to be terrorists. And, and they're uh, they're not given any due process. They're not tried, you know. And they and they were uh, unjustly uh, kidnapped from their homes and taken to Guantanamo to be imprisoned. And so, in all these cases, there's the need to to stand for justice and for love and resistance to the uh, these uh, you know forces of death. And and so, uh, I and many others have tried to do that. And most recently, too. Uh, with regard to resisting state-sanctioned killing and the death penalty, being uh, being arrested at the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, and I always say there's nothing supreme about a court that sanctions killing. And yet today, as we speak, uh, there's a man that's going to be uh, executed in Oklahoma, and the appeals will be made to the Supreme Court of the United States. And there are six Catholics on the Supreme Court. There's only one Catholic. Uh, Sotomayor, who has been very publicly opposed to the death penalty, but all the others have gone along in signing off on the executions that have happened over the last several years. There were 13 executions in seven months uh, under the Trump administration. These, these were federal executions, and uh, five of the six Catholic justices signed off on these executions. And now every other execution that happens, there's always an appeal made to the Supreme Court to intervene and almost always they uh, decide to go ahead with the execution. And so this is another another dimension of the uh, the government sanctioning killing. And and we, we uh, as people of faith and conscience, have to resist that to the point of, you know, even, you know, risking arrest and subject, subjecting ourselves to imprisonment and on and on. It's interesting because Christians, uh, I think, are sometimes really not knowledgeable of the reality that for the first 300 years after Christ, there was no idea of a just war. Killing was wrong. Jesus had said, you know, this isn't going to be won by the sword. And then all of a sudden, a just war came into being as a possibility. And uh, Unfortunately, Christians have really run with that. I think there has, has there been a, an unquestioning consent by Christians given to nuclear weapons. What do you think the gospel has to say to this and and to the idea that it, it's justified to kill people uh, as prisoners? I think thanks thanks be to God for the you know the many uh, voices throughout history you know uh, who 
who have uh, stood uh, in resistance to uh, the powers and principalities, uh, speaking truth to power to the point of giving their lives. And, and here, you know, we can, you know, look at certainly the, you know, the martyrs of the early church, the early Christian community, who refused to uh, serve the emperor and refused to go into the military, by and large, in the first three centuries, as you pointed out. And then we have the witness of people like Francis of Assisi. And then uh, moving into more contemporary times, we, you know, we have the, the witness of, uh, of certainly of, of Gandhi and of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. The great witness of, uh, of Dorothy Day, of uh, Ben Salmon, who is a, a Catholic World War I conscientious objector who uh, spent several years in prison and was on a hunger strike. And the, the government tried to say he was insane, but he, he resisted because of his faith in the nonviolent Jesus. And then we have the witness of somebody like uh, Franz Jägerstatter, you know, who served one tour in Hitler's army and then refused because of his faith to uh, do another tour. And his life witness was made public in this great book, Solitary Witness, by the great Catholic pacifist historian Gordon Zahn. But he, he refused to serve in Hitler's army and was beheaded on August 9th, 1983, father of three young girls. And his witness uh, has really helped uh, inspire so many people and to help Catholics especially uh, understand that we can't comply with any order that sanctions killing. And then, of course, then of course we have the witness of Archbishop Oscar Romero, you know, who, who was uh, murdered, who was assassinated while he was celebrating the Eucharist. Archbishop Romero is probably the greatest example of somebody who risked the cross and who showed us really the, the, the power of, of, of gospel love and justice in action. All these, all these examples and all these efforts of, of different people and so many others who we'll, we'll never hear about they have contributed to a, a new thinking in our church where in 2016, there was a, a, a conference on just peace that, that John Deere was part of and people like Marie Dennis and, and Ken Buddigan and, and other great Catholic peacemakers and, and, and peace and justice makers from other countries, including countries under, uh, under undergoing war. And they uh, met with people uh, in the Vatican and were able to get the Vatican to co-sponsor this conference on just peace. So to forever put away and to, and to say that just war is no longer valid as if it ever was. It's no longer, it can no longer be used. And we have to embrace a theology of just peace based on gospel nonviolence. And so that conference that happened in 2016 led to Pope Francis issuing a, uh, a very powerful World Day of Peace message in 2017 about nonviolence. First time a, a pope has ever done that. And, uh, and then uh, Pope Francis came out and said that the possession of nuclear weapons is immoral. No pope has ever done that. But it's due to the witness of, of so many people uh, throughout history, who have uh, given their lives to following the nonviolent Jesus. And gradually, uh, 
there's a new consciousness emerging in the church. And Henry is also an integral part of that. And in the forward to the risk of the cross book, he's asking the question, is there hope for history, uh, given the nuclear reality? And in the end, the real hope lies in people embracing the nonviolent Jesus. It's interesting. I, I loved the new edition of the risk of the cross because throughout it also, you recognize and weave throughout the realities of um, the the many social justice issues we're facing, the environmental issues that we're facing. And one of the lines that stood out to me was the theft of the public treasury for yeah. warfare instead of health care is a sin and a crime. And I think that's something we we need to identify. We just let governments around the world get away with spending huge amounts on warfare. And people go poor, hungry, unclothed, unhoused. There, there's, And we need those funds for to save the world, not to destroy it, really. I mean, the actual destructiveness that nuclear warfare can bring is, is, is just mind-boggling. Most of us can't even look there and imagine what would happen. But there have been all sorts of yes. nuclear incidents. What do they call them? Broken arrows? I think your book is fabulous because it does give me kind of a history of, uh, of the nuclear age. It also does give me a sense of, hey, stuff went wrong. Stuff happened. There has been accidents. That's really important for us to understand. Um, I'd like you to tell me a little something about, uh, I think, something very important. Let's move forward. to. I want to ask you, what is ICANN? What does it stand for? Tell us a bit about this, because to me, it seems to be something that we should all be uh, doing our very best to celebrate and encourage. Sure. Well, the uh, ICANN is the acronym for the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. It's really a, uh, an, an international global uh, organization of many organizations and groups, and they're headquartered in, uh, in Geneva. And they've been leading uh, the uh, campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. And they've been involved in uh, helping the United Nations formulate this new treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons, which is a breakthrough treaty, which, of course, the United States has opposed and uh, other nuclear nations have uh, not honored and uh, was ratified last year. And so um, now there's a body of international law based on this treaty that says that nuclear weapons are illegal. So ICANN and, and many other groups, including the, the Vatican and uh, groups like uh, Pax Christi that, that I'm associated with, and of course the Catholic Worker, the Plowshares Movement, there, there are many, many organizations and groups that are, that are supporting this treaty and calling on the United States and nuclear, nine nuclear nations to honor this treaty. Another important voice in this movement has been the voice of the survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the nuclear A-bomb survivors that are called Hibakusha. And they've been central to the, this whole movement and campaign. In the book, of the uh, new edition of the Risk of the Cross, there's the acceptance speech. ICANN won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2017, and Suzuko Thurlow, who was 13 years old when the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, fortunately survived and has dedicated her life to nuclear abolition. And she was one of the two uh, people giving the acceptance speech for the Nobel Peace Prize in 2017 to ICANN. 
And I, I encourage you and, and others to read her acceptance speech, which is in the appendix section of the book. It, it should be read by every person on earth uh, to show what nuclear weapons can do and the uh, fact that we're, the bulletin of the atomic scientists say we're at 100 seconds to nuclear midnight, uh, according to their doomsday clock, because of the threat of nuclear war and the uh, climate crisis, and that we have to take urgent uh, immediate action to uh, address the nuclear threat. And you had mentioned earlier that you know uh, all the uh, resources that have been misused and wasted on, on nuclear weapons and war and military spending. And the, the estimate is close to $10 trillion that the United States alone has spent on nuclear weapons since the beginning of the nuclear age. Can you believe that sum? Almost $10 trillion. Think of all the lives that could have been saved if that money had been put to provide for the basic necessity of life for the, the poor of our world who have died in the 76 years now of the nuclear age. And I have to tell you, t tonight, every Thursday, uh, the Catholic worker is in support, uh, working in concert with uh, a, a church in Arlington, a way to clean a peace, Arlington, Virginia, where we provide a what we call the feast on the street for the homeless. So in a couple of hours, I'm going down town, right near the White House, in the Christian Square, and we provide a nice uh, meal for our homeless friends who are living in squalor. They have nothing. There, there are more homeless encampments in D.C. than I've ever seen. These are, are the, uh, uh, the, the victims of our war machine and of the misplaced resources. This year's military budget is over $750 billion, and the Biden administration wants to uh, spend at least $43 billion on a new modernization program to upgrade the nuclear arsenal, uh, which is a, actually a 30-year plan. It began under Obama, continued under Trump, and now is extending over the next 20 years. The government wants to spend roughly $1.7 trillion to upgrade the uh, U.S. nuclear arsenal. At a time, in this pandemic time, when so many people are suffering, are lacking health care, are lacking uh, housing, and uh, other necessities uh, to survive. All right, I'm just going to say that I, I, I am inspired. I am, uh, uh, I think you've moved me from uh, the comfortable pew to the front line in my spirit because I, I really hear this has to be resisted. It isn't something, I kind of associated it with the 60s and That's 70s right. and 80s, but it is an ever-present danger for us, and we as, as followers of Christ need to be active. I loved there was a there was a, a little line I underlined here in this beautiful acceptance speech from Setsuko Thurlow. Her uh, this is the speech when she was awarded, or rather, ICANN was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, and she wrote, "The development of nuclear weapons signifies not a country's elevation to greatness, right. but its descent to the darkest depths of depravity. These weapons are not That's a right. necessary evil." They are the ultimate evil. It's pretty profound. She and the Habakkusha, the survivors, also say that humanity cannot coexist with nuclear weapons. If we don't disarm, if we don't get rid of our nuclear intentions, then we're going to destroy ourselves. It's that, uh, it's that clear. And, 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 and 
every day, as, as pointed out, I mean, every day we live with the reality that nuclear weapons could be used. And Congress would never be consulted beforehand. The American people wouldn't be consulted beforehand. The people of the world would not be consulted beforehand. The decisions would be made in secret, just like the secrecy that surrounded the decision to use nuclear weapons in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And so that's what's key for people to understand and to take action, to support this treaty, to, to call on uh, our churches everywhere to embrace the gospel of nonviolence. I'm going to encourage all of our listeners. I, I would love you to get the risk of the cross, living gospel nonviolence in the nuclear age. It's a very well thought through, powerful, spiritual exercise. I have to tell you that in reading this book, I just felt like the core of it is the revelation of who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? And that to me was so profound. I've, I've loved the book. I want to encourage all of you. I promise you that on our website, we'll have lots of things that we've referred to today. Books that Henry wrote, things that I would hope you would link to. I even hope that we will be able to have that acceptance speech because you'll, you will be deeply moved by it. I know you'll be deeply moved. I want to thank you so much for, for joining with me, Art. And I'd like you just one more time perhaps just to speak specifically to the very urgent um, and pressing issue before you that has caught your heart, and that is uh, our response uh, to uh, authorized state killing uh, of prisoners. Just Would you like to maybe end on that note? Just tell us where you think we need to be on that. Today, uh, there's a man that's going to be executed, Julius Jones, uh, in, in Oklahoma. And uh, if, the, if the governor doesn't intervene, and if the Supreme Court doesn't intervene to stop this execution, an innocent man is going to be murdered. The, bo- the Board of Pardons and Parole in uh, Oklahoma recommended on a vote of three to one to uh, not go forward with this execution because of overwhelming evidence of, of innocence. And so we, we, we uh, as people of faith and, and followers of Jesus, uh, really have to uh, stand against uh, killing and against violence wherever it's being carried out and against racism, uh, systemic racism in all its forms. It's very clear now the, the, uh, the teaching of the church is, is, is that the death penalty can never be accepted under any circumstance. It cannot be tolerated. And, and so we, we, we have our work cut out for us. And I, 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 pray, I pray to God that a miracle will happen, that Julius Jones' life will be spared today. Uh, and I speak as a, a murder victim family member. My, my own brother was murdered. And uh, by, by, the, by the grace of God, I was able to find a place in my heart to uh, show mercy and compassion to the man who killed my brother, who, uh, who was a man who had suffered from mental illness, and was homeless, and he, uh, he stabbed my brother to death uh, back in September of 1999. And he's now in a prison hospital in Connecticut, where he is uh, will probably be for the rest of his life receiving the care that he needs. But had he been uh, competent to go to trial at the time of uh, this terrible uh, atrocity, uh, then he would have faced the death penalty in Connecticut. Uh, and thank God Connecticut no longer has the death penalty as the 21 other states have abolished the death penalty. And most countries in the world have abolished the death penalty, but the United States hasn't. Uh, the federal government hasn't, and uh, 
only, uh, as I say, 22 states have. And so we, we, we have a long way to go, uh, but uh, with God, all things are possible. And that's one thing that uh, comes out of the, the, the Gospel of Mark and the rest of the cross book. Uh, and that Henry always helped us to try to understand with God, all things are possible. Um, and so I just want to end on a note that, uh, uh, you know, I was able to attend Henry's uh, funeral and, uh, in, in, uh, in Canada with John Deere, and we both grew up together. And uh, I'll, I'll always remember uh, the uh, beautiful uh, celebration of Henry's life, how his coffin was decorated with uh, sunflowers, and people wrote beautiful messages on it. And at the, uh, uh, during the wake, uh, as I walked from Henry's ca casket to the back of the church, I heard Henry's voice because I didn't know at the time there was a video of Henry being played in the lower church. And uh, I walked downstairs and I saw Henry preaching. There was a video of Henry preaching. And here I've gone from seeing Henry, uh, Henry in death and then Henry preaching, uh, hearing his word. Uh, and, and Henry was, uh, in, in, in that moment, Henry was ministering to me in a powerful way and continues to minister to me and so many others through his uh, amazing life as a wounded healer. And uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for, for the gift of Henry's life and friendship and and Henry connects us all in a very beautiful way and helps us to grow closer to Jesus in all that we're doing. Thank you so much, Art. It has just been a real privilege to talk to you today. Our audience is coming from all around the world, not just America, North America, but all around the world. And I am so grateful for how you have vividly brought Henry to us today and, and also brought to us a cause that we need to be awake to and alive to. I thank you all for listening. What an honor it's been for me to spend time with Art Laffin. The book he co-authored, The Risk of the Cross, has really deeply inspired and informed me. I want to encourage you to consider all that we've discussed today. Do you see Jesus as the true champion of nonviolence? If so, how do you want to live that out? How will you live it out in your community? For more resources related to today's podcast, click on the links on the podcast page of our website. You'll find links to anything mentioned today, as well as book suggestions. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd be so grateful if you'd take time to give us a review or a thumbs up, or pass this on to your friends and companions on the faith journey. Thanks for listening. Until next time.